So welcome to Bible study session. It's always wonderful to study God's word. And this evening we're going to start on a series of doctrinal studies um, where we will be exploring some of the basic, the very basic doctrines of the Christian faith. There are so many times we listen to it in church, but it is always good to have this one time in a week or an hour or take some time off and study about it again and again. It's important to do that. Amen. It's important to know what salvation is. It's important to know more about it because um, over time, we, though we know the truth, though we know this is what it is, sometimes we tend to forget it. And when you look at salvation, salvation is such an amazing gift. Think of the best gift that you've ever received in life. Salvation is a thousand times better than that. This is the greatest gift mankind has ever received. So the more we go into this, the more we keep studying it over and over again, it reminds us that, reminds us of the value of salvation. Amen. So this evening we're going to study on this doctrine called soteriology. Basically, it's a study of salvation. The word soter means savior or preserver. So you get an idea. Soteriology study of salvation. So this one, whenever we use the word soteriology in a Christian context, it has mainly to do with what Jesus did for us. It's not talking about every other kind of salvation. Salvation also is found in different religions, uh, different uh, uh, ancient kingdoms that ruled. Like Egyptians had their own kind of salvation. Uh, the Mesopotamians had their kind of salvation. But when we use the word soteriology, it mainly deals with the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, we're going to study about this great gift. Now before I start, let me define salvation and then we'll go on to study how that came to us and how it is important for our lives. So let's define salvation. So what is the meaning of salvation? It's a broad meaning. Salvation means to effect successfully the full delivery of someone or something from impending danger. Okay? It's a full delivery of someone or something from an impending danger. Keep this in mind. Now, if you look at salvation and you look at this definition very specifically, this definition very interestingly carries a, a twofold implication. It implies two things. That is, first, in the salvation, there is somebody that needs to be saved. That is the first thing that we learn in this definition. means to effect successfully the full delivery of someone or something. So the first implication, the first thing that we learn from this definition is that there is someone that needs to be saved. There is someone that needs to be saved. If you look at Jesus, when he came to this earth, what did he say? Who needs a doctor? The sick need a doctor. And who's the sick person there? Okay, let's, let's go to some passages. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6. We're talking about this first implication that there is something or someone that needs to be saved. One more thing today is that we will be looking through a lot of references. 
okay so even if you're not able to read everything just keep writing it down this will be helpful for you so first implication something or someone needs to be saved why when you look at the scripture humanity or human beings are always portrayed as people who are sick and it is the sick who needs a doctor now you cannot go to a hospital or a clinic and tell the doctor doctor check me he will ask me okay what is what is the issue in your body and if you say i'm perfectly all right he will say you have no job here you don't have to come here you don't have don't have anything to do in this place why because you're well but you look at the humanity it needs help if you look at isaiah chapter 1 verse 6 can somebody read that verse isaiah 1 6 Yes what does it say about people here or what what is it saying about israel now this is not a literal wound it's not a physical wound it's talking about their spirituality and their spirituality is portrayed as a wound here it's saying soul of the foot even to the head there is no soundness to it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment So what we see in this definition is that first there is a need for something or someone to be saved and this something or someone is who it is us we are sick and it is a sick who needs a savior so if you go to Matthew chapter 9 verse 12 Matthew 9 12 Jesus when he heard that he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick are the ones who need a physician so you look at the entire humanity now many of you said we had lost our relationship with the lord why because sin entered into the world now it is jesus who comes and redeems us and so this definition by itself implies that there is someone or something that needs to be saved first is only a sick that needs a doctor so humankind humanity is sick we are lost and we need a savior the second thing is this only an accused needs a lawyer now if you're not accused of anything if you're walking around freely will you go hire a lawyer for yourself no you need a lawyer when you're accused of something now if you look at man's condition he stands condemned in god's court of law turn with me to romans 3 verse 10 to 19 Romans 3 verse 10 to 19 Mhm Mhm Yes Yes Mhm Mhm So we look at this you know this Romans chapter 3 verse 10 to 19 you can read this full passage uh, later but what we get is this there is no one in this earth that is perfect no one in this earth that is good which means in god's court of law who is accused we we so there is a need for a lawyer so you get that picture there is someone or something that needs to be saved okay the third thing only a person who is drowning needs a lifeguard 
If you're walking on the beach, you don't need a lifeguard, right? If you look at Psalm 69, verse 1 to 2, Psalmist says like this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Floods overflow me. In other words, he's talking about something that he has done that is pushing him down right now. What pushes us down, what destroys our life is sin. And so there is need for a lifeguard. There's need for a savior. So this definition tells us that there is someone or something that needs to be saved. If you look at Romans 3.23, what does it say? Anybody uh, know, anyone knows that by heart? Romans 3.23? Yes. For all. <laughs> Nobody. So all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, the entire human race needs salvation. So the, the whole idea of salvation begins with this thing that humans need salvation. They need to be saved. So when somebody asks you, you know, what is salvation? Instead of first putting, you know, all of you gave good answers. But instead of first putting, it's the grace of God, it's the gift of God. It's better to say, we were lost, estranged. We were not living in you know, we were not perfect in any way. We were just broken. We were lost. We were, you know, just living life in our own terms. But God comes and restores us. That is salvation. Do you get it? So, in other words, there's a man called Robert Gromaki. He said like this. I want to show this slide to you. He said, a sinner may not be as bad as he can be, like an Adolf Hitler but he is nevertheless as bad off as he can be. Now all of us are not like Adolf Hitler. Now how many people did Hitler kill? Millions. Sometimes we think of sinner as somebody who has done that. You know, who is, is like Stalin or Mussolini or people who have done atrocities after humankind. Now, you look at it, what he says is sinner may not be as bad as he can be like an Adolf Hitler, but he is nevertheless as bad off as he can be. There's something we have to understand. There is no sin that is small, very small. There is no sin that is greater. Whether it's a small sin or a big sin, it is all sin in the sight of God. Now God will not look at you, one person, and say, okay, you need a lot of cleansing in life. And he won't look at the other person and say, okay, you go. You can survive. No. Everybody needs the blood of Jesus. Do you get it? Everybody needs the blood of Jesus. So you look at the life of, or condition of a man, he is both dead, he is dead spiritually, and he is dying physically. So he is dead spiritually, he is gone, you know, he is away from the Lord, and he is dying physically. Dying physically. Now, to this man, there is a need of salvation. There is a need of salvation. Okay, now let me talk about this a little more. Robert Gromacki goes on to say like this. He said, the state of man can be compared to a condemned criminal in death row awaiting his time to be executed. Okay, now I spoke to you about man's condition. He, need, he is sick, he needs a lawyer. But to give you a full perspective of man's sin or a sinful condition, this is what it is. It's a state of man 
that can be compared to a condemned criminal in his death row waiting for his time to be executed. What does the Bible say? Wages of sin is death. I was, a couple of weeks ago I was watching this documentary about uh, death row prisoners. If, you, if, 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 if anyone commits a mistake, uh, a murder or some kinds of, kind of offense that is very grievous, they will sentence them to death. Now, once they are sentenced to death, they will not be killed or executed immediately. They will be taken to the prison, they will be kept in a separate uh, part of the prison and they will sometimes be left in that prison for 7 years, 8 years, 12 years. Okay? And all of a sudden, the prison officer or the superintendent will come and say, you're going to be executed on this, this day, at this time. So I was watching this documentary and these prisoners live with this fear that I know my time is coming soon to die. See, it's one thing to live free in the world where you just enjoy, you know you can go out somewhere tomorrow. But to them, death may be by end of this week. So they live with that anxiety, you know, for some seven years, eight years, twelve years. Now man in a sinful condition is like a criminal that is condemned to be executed. I want you to get a full picture of this to understand what salvation actually has done to us. Man in his condemned state is like a criminal waiting on a death row. Waiting on a death row to be executed. But that is where Jesus comes in. He takes our place. Dies on our behalf. But death could not keep him down. He raises up again from the dead. So you see how amazing salvation is. Like each of us, I was, I was picturing myself, you know. Uh, I was picturing myself that I'm one of those people who are, who are sitting in the prison cell because of my sins. The wages of sin is death, waiting to die. And just as I'm, you know, anticipating death, Christ walks into my life and he says, I'm, I'll die on your behalf. Every punishment that came on us fell on him. That's what makes salvation so amazing. Let's go on um, to study about this more. Let's look at the definition again and that carries a second implication. So salvation means to affect successfully the full delivery of someone or something from an impending danger. Now, what this also implies is that there is a savior who is able and willing to save. Because the very word salvation in the beginning also says that there is a savior who will fully deliver someone or something from an impending danger. Now, anyone who claims to be a savior or who wants to be a savior has to do one of, has to do two things. First is he must be able to save Second, he must be willing to save. So anybody who claims to be a savior must fulfill both the requirements. Now let's look at this very specifically. He must be able to save. Now it is, it is possible for a person to have a desire to save. But not the ability to save all the times. For example, you know, in, in the field of medicine, there will be times when a doctor would want to save the patient with all his you know, knowledge, expertise, everything possible. But there will be situations or circumstances 
which he will be very helpless. He'll try to save them with all his being, but there will come a time when then, where he will be helpless. So he has this desire to save, but he cannot save at all times. And that is why we saw there was an issue in West Bengal. They started thrashing the doctors. Why? Because they couldn't save. And people have to understand they are not gods in any way. They want to save and every, every doctor desires to see his patient live. But then there will come a time when they are not able to save. Second part of this requirement is that they must also be willing to save. Now, one another side, a person can have an ability to save. But at the same time, if they don't have the willingness, they still cannot save. Uh, in, the, in the US, there was a man who, who was desperately need of a, a blood transfusion and his blood, was, uh, blood type was rare and he died because he couldn't get. But the tragedy of that story was that he could have easily survived because there was one relative in his family who had that blood group, same kind of blood group, it was a rare one, but he was not willing to give it. So sometimes there's an ability to save but not always there's a willingness to save. But you look at Jesus, he was able to save and also at the same time, he was willing to save. So when, when we look at our life and we look at salvation, Jesus did two things. He is able to save and he is also willing to save. If you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, it says like this, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lived to make intercession for them. What does the Bible say? That God, Jesus, is always able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And in Jude 24, can we turn to that passage? Jude 24. It says like this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What is it? To him, what is he able to do? He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. So who, who do we worship? We worship a savior who is able to save us. Uh, if you look at um, Hebrews 2.18, can somebody read that passage? Hebrews 2.18. Yes, he is able to help those who are tempted because he himself has suffered and he is also tempted he was also tempted and now he is able to help those who are tempted so he is a savior who is able to save and also if you go on to read about his willingness to save there was one time a leper came to him and said lord if you're willing you can make me clean and what did jesus say he stretched out his hand touched him and said i am willing those words are very important i am willing which shows that this is a savior who is not just able but also is ready to save humanity amen first timothy chapter 2 verse 3 to 4 please write down the references it says like this for this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior who desires all men to be saved and to 
come to the knowledge of truth. Verse 4 says, who desires. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. What does God desire? All men to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9. I know there's a lot of references. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Can somebody read that verse? Mhm. Yes, he is not willing that anyone should perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, what we saw we saw all these references that say is that there is a God who is able to save and also now is willing to save. and Jesus Christ is the only one who has done that there is no one else in this world that has done that he is able to do both able to save he is the perfect lamb of god the perfect sacrifice and also he is the god who is willing to come down to our level lived with us lived an exemplary life went through temptation like us but he did not sin went through suffering for our sake and he saved us Okay now let's look at ways of getting this salvation now did you understand so far any questions any questions that you have if you have any questions let me know um so let's look at the ways of getting this salvation now all of us know how to get this salvation now before i talk about the true way let me talk about the false way that people are given hope about getting the salvation okay the false ways are first is good works we all know that and understand well no one no matter how good they are they cannot earn salvation by doing some good deeds doesn't matter who they are salvation can never be earned by doing good works second is salvation can never be earned by taking baptism just because we go in the water and come out of the water doesn't mean we are saved and salvation never comes through never comes by living in a proper environment like say if you're living in a pastor's family or in a church environment that doesn't mean you are saved i was living like that and some of back of my mind i thought i'm saved but truth is i was not saved pastor's family church meetings all my life proper environment never saves you okay and fourth one is confirmation we can get confirmed to the church but that doesn't mean we are saved fifth one is tithing giving to the church never saves us there are some people who who do a lot of things in their life and they think okay i can give and cover up everything no money will never earn salvation okay and sixth one is interesting sincerity if you're a very sincere christian if if all you think is of holy things that will not save you seventh one is also very interesting education this is very prevalent among bible college students some of you know just because we are researching on god 
and the scriptures every day some of we feel like we are up there you know somewhere on the holy uh, land <laughs> truth is everything happens there uh, i i could talk about another time education studying about god will never get us saved what can get us saved very simple believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved romans 10 9 says confess with your mouth that jesus christ is the lord and believe in your heart that god has raised jesus from the dead and you will be saved you look at salvation very simple that's why you know somebody said like this the gospel is so simple that even a child even a small child even even a child who can start to understand things can understand it very easily there is nothing complex about salvation there is no good works there is no tithing there is no giving of money there is no baptism nothing of that sort some people also say that you know if you speak in tongues that's a sign of salvation that's not it's not so salvation the only way to receive that is first of all we have to believe in god and confess that jesus christ is the lord and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead and you will be saved now does this take a lot of effort to do very very simple it doesn't take a lot of effort to do but interestingly if you tell somebody you know if you want to get saved i give a lakh to the church do so many good deeds they'll be very happy to do that but to ask them to you know just uh, live in a relationship with god believe in jesus believe in his resurrection power believe in all this they'll be like oh this doesn't make sense but salvation is very simple all we have to do is simply believe simply believe man sometimes you know when i look at the world today and especially the christian world today the doctrine of salvation is so twisted in so many different places sometimes it's legalized only if you're part of this church you are saved if you're not then you're not saved no Okay let me ask this question. What do you think of the salvation of Judas Iscariot? Was he saved? But that's a big topic to debate about. And I was thinking today we should have some debates in church, like a healthy one where we can separate some groups, I can give you some time. Uh, <laughs> was he was he really saved? Now, we're going to ju- we're not going to judge about his salvation, but there's something to do uh, something to look at why the reason i'm saying that is because once he betrays jesus he cries yes he does he he cries and you look at peter peter also betrayed jesus three times peter also cries but both those cries are very different very different now jesus said something very interesting it is not who say to me lord lord who will enter the kingdom of heaven those who will do the will those who do the will the real meaning of that passage is not who just it's not the ones who just call on the name of jesus but the ones who truly have a relationship with him and who do his will if you look from that aspect did judas really have a relationship with jesus very hard to say that the bible doesn't explicitly mention but when you look at the words where uh, judas cried and peter cried the kind of crying that judas had was an emotional regret 
Like emotionally, we regret some things that we did. But Peter, when he cried, he was like, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. He cried that way. Now, a man who really has a relationship with Jesus is the only one who can cry out for forgiveness. But Judas cried just an emotional cry and that is why he couldn't come back. But if he really had a relationship with Jesus, if he really was the one running after Jesus, like Peter was, like John was, like all the other disciples were, he could have definitely come back. So, the lesson we can learn is you can be in the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. You can still be away. You can be in the church, but you can still be still far away from salvation. What it takes is the relationship with Jesus. The salvation is not about, okay, I've become part of a church, become part of a Bible study group, I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm praying, I'm tithing regularly. No. No, no, no. God doesn't care about all that. What He cares is your relationship with Him. Another key to understand the life of Judas is that look at the names of the 12 disciples written in the Bible. Can we turn to that passage? Names of 12 disciples. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. Okay, whose name is first? Whose name is last? Judas. There's something to learn. The writers didn't write it randomly, by the way. The way they wrote it is that, if you study the literature, they wrote the names of the disciples who were closest to Jesus first, and the not so closest one at the end. Okay, so Judas was there in the 12 disciples, but not really didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. So it tells us a lot of things. We can go to church, we can do all we want, we can sing songs, we can be part of a worship team, we can even preach on an Easter service or a Good Friday service. That doesn't mean we are saved. What salvation is, is that we have to repent. Okay, Lord, I'm a sinner. We have to understand our Misery, our weakness, the sins that we have committed and then going to the Lord say, Lord, I believe you can save me. And Christ comes into our hearts and from there, that day onwards, we have a relationship with Jesus. That is true salvation. So that is why God said, Jesus said, it is not who calls unto me, Lord, Lord. God says, I never knew you. In other words, I never had a relationship with you. Just because you call doesn't mean that you have a relationship with me. Amen. Okay. Now, I have a couple of more things to talk about, but then I'm going to cut, cut it short. Uh, there's one important question I want to deal with. Uh, I spoke about this in the online study uh, recently, and uh, this is something that I've also said. Um, the question is this. Did Jesus pay the price for a physical healing? Did Jesus pay the price for our physical healing? And Pradeep and I were discussing also recently. And question is this, did Jesus die to heal us physically completely? Okay, by his stripes you were healed. What do you, what do you think? Because, because 
there's, see, there's one part of the gospel that is not the true gospel that's called the prosperity gospel. That is saying, Jesus died for you on the cross, your healing is already given, you have to simply claim it. Okay. Okay, so let's go to Isaiah 53.5. Very important verse to break down. Isaiah 53 verse 5. This is a very important verse to unpack, to understand what uh, Jesus did for us on the cross, specifically to do with healing. And we're talking about this question where we're asking, okay, did Jesus really die for my physical healing? And now, I, I take this verse and uh, recently I, I read an article uh, written by someone whom I personally know. He said, Jesus died for our salvation, healing and deliverance. There are elements I agree with it. And there are reasons why I don't agree with it. And it is not because of my opinion that I'm thinking it that way. But because when I look at the scripture, it tells me something very specific that I have to know. That we all have to learn. What does Isaiah 53.5 say? You know, this is talking about what the Messiah, Jesus, is going to do. What does it say? Verse 5. Okay. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Mm -hmm. And with his wounds we are healed. Okay. Now, to understand the last phrase, by his stripes we are healed, to understand this last phrase really better, uh, what we have to do is we have to get to why the author writes, by his stripes we are healed. The, the biggest issue is we cannot take, you know, just this part, you know, just this, and by his stripes, we just cannot take this one portion and come to a conclusion. Okay? I cannot just say, you know, okay, this is what it means, this is what the Bible says, and by his stripes we are healed. The word healing has two meanings there. The word healing has two meanings. One is physical and spiritual. So what we really need to see is what does this word mean in this context? Because in the English language, we have one word that means different things. If we use one word in a different context, it will mean something different than what I may use in another context. There is something like that happening here. Now, you look at this, it starts with, he was what? Wounded for our... What is he wounded for? What is transgression? A sins. And he was bruised for our iniquities. Same thing. And the chastisement, the punishment, in other words, for our peace was upon him. And by every blow that he got, every time he was beaten, we were healed of what? Going back to our transgressions. Get it? Any questions? Let me go slowly here. Stripes we were healed from what is the question. The verse clearly says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and at last it says by his stripes we are healed. There's another verse also in scripture in Second Peter, First Peter 2.21. Say, let's look at verse 24 and 25. It says like this, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, 
that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed again you you take this portion that talks about you know healing you take this portion and then you go to why is this healing coming to me in the first place sins having died to sin might live by whose stripes you were healed in other words what's happening to us is that we were spiritually dead it's a healing that brings us life into a spiritual life once again do you get it now let let me take, give you my stand on healing i absolutely believe in healing i pray for healing i've prayed for healing people have been healed it it happens to me almost every other week i see healings take place personally in my life and also in the life of others i see that happen i i know what pradeep faithfully goes to venlock people are healed now i don't i don't dismiss the healing power of god i believe god still heals even till today he he is able to heal that happens but what healing is is the demonstration of the power of god it is happening it does happen but we cannot say that healing is already paid for and we can simply claim it that cannot why because there is no biblical support for that statement simply because there is no verse that says okay we are healed we just have to claim it claim it and i tell you there are people that i know personally who've believed from this point of view who prayed 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 and eventually lost their loved one and they've drifted far away from god why because according to them healing was already in the cross but they didn't somehow didn't get it and now because they didn't get it they're like disappointed in their faith are you trying to get what i'm saying so basically it's there's a view that we shouldn't carry in the word so did jesus die to heal us physically answer no was the healing paid for us on the cross physical healing no but can we be healed absolutely yes we have to pray for it believe it god heals god heals i i met an uh, an um, uncle recently and he said uh, i was healed I, i thought my hand is like i'll never be able to use it but god he said god healed me completely now he is able to lift weight he does weights every day and that's the healing power of god and i believe that but it is not the right thing to say that it is already there done and finished we just have to claim it so um there's one more thing now pradeep said he was healed first and then he received salvation there were so many times in scriptures even uh, peter is on he's going and there's one man who asking for money and what does peter say silver or gold have i none but what i have i give to you in the name of jesus rise up and walk what happens he was healed now look at those cases specifically you know very similar to pradeep he went in line for 
He was suffering with malaria 23 times, went in line, got healed. And then later he came to know about Jesus, got saved, he's strong for the Lord. Now, when the healing comes first, what that means is God has demonstrated his power to you. It's just a demonstration of God's power. And that will open up your heart to even see more of what Jesus offers. So what Pradeep experienced first is the healing power of God. And then his eyes were opened to see more of what Jesus offers. And then came salvation. Everything in life changed from then on. Okay, so with this man in the Bible, it's the same thing. Some, there were some people who were healed to whom even the gospel were not preached. But at some point in their life, they'll be very curious to know about this God more. In the name of Jesus, command, rise up and walk. Like, who is this Jesus? That'll open their heart to know him more. So, God will demonstrate his power even before you're saved sometime. That's his will. He will do it. Doesn't matter. He will do it. But that doesn't mean physical healing was purchased on the cross. So, pray for healing, pray for the sick, pray for the people who are demon-possessed, pray for every, everything. God will heal them. God will heal them. Sometimes you can pray for a person one time, <laughs> nothing will happen. Second time, nothing will happen. But pray. Persistently pray and God will change. God will do something. Sometimes we don't know why God doesn't answer. We don't know. We have no answers for that. And one more, one more incident, let me tell you. Uh, some, when, they, when, when people take an extreme view, view of this verse, that healing is already purchased and we just have to claim it. There was one time when, um, when a pastor who was praying for somebody's healing, he prayed, 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 nothing happened. Like they would get better, get worse, get better, get worse. Eventually, the word was out saying, they have done so many sins in their past, they are not able to be healed. Now that's an absolute uh, undermining of the salvation of God. Salvation, when you come to the Lord, He can forgive you, He can set you free, everything will change in your life radically. God is forgiven and who are we to say that they cannot be healed because they have too many, they've done too many sins in their past. When I heard that, it was, it was pretty, you know, this, this, I'm not making this story, this is something that person directly told me this pastor themselves came and told me that they cannot be healed because they have some. We cannot say that. We have to simply pray with faith. With boldness. Believing God will do it. That's all. That, that's our job. That's our job. And, and it's, it's God's work to do the rest. There's, there's one man in this building, you know, I, he, he's got pan in his mouth, he's got some anklets, uh, something, everything in his uh, Pradeep knows him. Uh, he comes and says, Aya, prayer, Madi, Aya. I pray for him, and then next time I'm meeting him, like, I'm, I'm fine, I'm doing very well. <laughs> Sometimes, like, this man doesn't even go to church properly. Uh, God does his work. You know, we just have to pray in faith, believe, and God still does his work. And if, see, for somebody like Pradeep, I believe God has called him to a ministry like that. And it's, it's absolutely fine to go ahead and do a ministry like that. And he sees results. And I've seen 
many of that i am i am a testimony to that and so god does his work he does his work but when we come to salvation and think of what jesus did for us on the cross it has to do with spiritual healing spiritual restoration 